Hello. I don't know why I said it like that, but I'm very <laughs> excited to welcome everyone to the very first episode of Forensic Friends. I'm your host, Shelly, and I'm joined by my fellow forensic friend, my FFF, Triple F, Dylan. Hello, everybody. And my forensically interested friend, Natalie. Hello. So since this is the first episode, um, I'm going to go through what this is about. And I'm not going to do it again, so that's too bad. You're just going to have to refer to this first episode. Basically, this is not a true crime podcast. It is, as the name implies, a forensic podcast joined by people of varying interests or qualifications in forensic science. This podcast hopes to bring you the true facts about the science of solving crime. Um, all of the information will be provided from legitimate sources or reliable sources. Um, so whether it's from our textbooks, lecture notes, and like journal articles, so even though I would not necessarily call myself or Dylan <laughs> an expert, um, <laughs> the information does come from expert sources. So yeah, I think maybe we can talk a little bit about our background um, because both Dylan and I are graduates of forensic science. Um, we'll start with Dylan. I'll give the courtesy to our... Oh, wow. To, to our guest slash co-host. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so a little bit about myself, uh, my background in forensic science. So I went to Trent University, which is a small, well, not really small university. Um, the campus is quite large, but um, a small town in Peterborough, which is in uh, Ontario, Canada. AKA middle of nowhere. Yes, middle of nowhere, <laughs> literally. Takes you about a half hour drive to get to the downtown and you're surrounded by like woods and a river. Downtown in quotes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quotes. Um, so yeah, so there I did my uh, bachelor's degree in forensics and biology. Um, majority of the courses I took were uh, forensic and bio, um, with a little bit of other things in between, but... Uh, when I graduated, I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Biology. Um, just I needed a couple more courses in forensics to get the minor, but I didn't end up doing that from uh, personal reasons. But uh, that's where I am in professionalism, in a, in a sense. And then uh, later on, did my medical lab assistant technician program, and now I'm working as a, a lab coordinator. But uh, as far as like expertise, in quotations go, <laughs> that's where I stand in forensics. So what kind of courses did you, like just a brief what overview. Yeah. Um, so like first year, second year university is probably just your general. So you're yeah. like, you're intro to forensics, um, crime scene processing. Um, so yeah, just like your general basic, mm -hmm. like courses you would normally take in any kind of university yeah. program. Um then going into the senior levels, we did more of uh, more specialized things. So like um, course in like course courses part of of a larger course. Like, <laughs> how do I explain that? Um, like units units within a course, like in like entomology, blood patterns. Um, Is that what you call it? Entomology. Entomology, yeah. Entomology. Uh, entomology. <laughs> potato, potato, same thing. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> blood spatter pattern analysis. I it's a little different. One of those I understand, and one of those I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which one? Which one do you understand, Natalie? Entomology. Yeah. See, oh. it's an E. Well, Sorry, etymology. There's no en- etymology. Entomology. Etymology. There's an. No, there's an M. There's an N. There is. Yes. There's an N in it. I can't spell. Unless you're thinking of etiology, which is no. Okay. <laughs> no. Etymology, as in the origin of words. In oh the yeah. History of Et- words. Yeah. No. Entomology is bugs. Yeah. Oh yeah. no! That's... See, I was right. You had me questioning myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so uh, it's just small courses like that, the study of bugs, um, <laughs> uh, blood stain pattern analysis, um, I don't know what else, uh, DNA forensics, okay. uh, stuff like that. So like, just more like specific stuff in your seniors, but for for my sense, in my case anyways, because I did the joint or the mixture of forensics and bio. So a lot of my other stuff was like cell bio, okay, um, yeah, biochemistry, yeah. Uh, genetics, and stuff like that. The um the courses that you don't really care about when you're taking forensic science courses. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you're technically majored in bio, minored in forensics. Technically, yes. Technically, yes. So I'm the opposite. I majored in forensics and minored in bio. So I went to. It's not called UOIT anymore. It's called Ontario Tech University yeah, Ontario or something. Tech it's University. a fairly new university, actually. But um, around the time that I think I was in second year, it reached like 10 years old. That's how new it was. So all of her technology was really new. So I also have a Bachelor of Science um, in forensic science. And yeah, first and second year courses were pretty similar, like general science courses and then some intro to forensics and I think in it was either second semester or second year we started criminalistics which um or was it crime scene science basically same idea it's like the physical stuff like physical sciences related to forensics and then more senior it became a lot more complicated like we did forensic bio which was all DNA analysis um, we got real nitty gritty, as you'll hear in the next episode, and forensic chemistry, toxicology, and then we had like a multidisciplinary class, which I think was maybe kind of like yours, where we had individual units about more mm-hmm. specified stuff like forensic entomology, forensic anthropology, forensic archaeology, that kind of thing. So it was a pretty well-rounded program, I think. It's changed slightly from our mutual friend, um, Chantel, who also did the same program as me, but three years after, I think. Yeah. We were more focused on the science side. So we did have the physical aspect, like blood stain pattern analysis, glass, uh, tool marks. We also had a crime scene house. I think you guys had a crime yeah, scene a house crime too, scene. which was really the biggest draw for that school for me. Basically, it was us going to the crime scene as scenes of crimes officers, scenes scenes of crime officers. Crime scene investigators. Socos. You don't call okay. them Socos. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
to collect the evidence and take the crime scene photos and everything. And then the following week, we'd be in the lab, like, processing the evidence that technically that doesn't happen in real life. That's a CSI myth. Um, you don't do everything as a forensic scientist. You're either a police officer collecting the evidence. You might be called to the scene as a lab, like forensic technologist, but usually you're just in the lab. You're separated. But that's pretty much my background. <laughs> um, oh, we also took law class. We had law for forensic science um, and a couple psych classes, but they weren't, they were kind of more like for interests sake like forensic psych for us was a single class there's only so much you can learn about psychology in just one class but uh yeah and actually just another disclaimer um because dylan and i are canadian our education is canadian so when it comes to the legal stuff we're coming at it from the canadian legal system which might be obviously different from like any other legal system, but the forensic techniques are pretty much universal, um, barring any new kind of discoveries or technologies. So Natalie, yes, why don't you tell us about your experience? <laughs> well, I guess not really experience, but your <laughs> like interests well, in forensics, since you're my forensically interested friend. <laughs> I have absolutely nothing to do with forensic anything. <laughs> <laughs> Neither myself nor my podcast in podcast land, but I like true crime because I do have a, I don't have a degree. I was going to come up with something witty. I don't have a degree. I did not finish college because I started dying. <laughs> Which but I do have a back. <laughs> dying might put a damper on things. Just Yeah, it kind of keeps you from being able to go to class. Yeah, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a background in counseling, and I am morbidly fascinated by people and how their brains work. So if you don't have a forensic background and you're listening, I am you, you are me, we are we. Yes, that was a TikTok reference. <laughs> we will all be shocked together. Um, Sorry, I just needed to point out TikTok because Natalie is older than both Dylan and I and she's the only one out of us who knows anything about TikTok. Okay, I've... thank you for making <laughs> me sound like I'm 30. You're almost there. We're all almost there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually, if you're 30, it's fine. You're gorgeous. You're beautiful. <laughs> Stay that way. If you're Don't older than 30, <laughs> you're also fine. Just, just in case. Yes, I am 28 years old. Yeah, we're still get carded. We're we're both a year younger than you. Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan's glad because I think you're the oldest out of our am, yes. friend group. Only yeah, by yeah. a couple months. Yeah. Like yeah. Three months? Two months? Two yeah. months. Two months. Yes. Although I'm secretly ninety well, actually according to Dylan and Chantel, a hundred years old. Uh -huh. I'm secretly a hundred years old, so you're fine. I don't think anyone knows how old I am, and depending on which version of me you get, it's <laughs> more confusing. You're either 12 or you're 150. Yes, when I'm talking about serious things, which I am capable of doing, I get very serious, and I can talk about those very heavy topics. Thank you. I worked in youth ministry. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> 
regrets. And I still like cute things, so. It's fine. You got to balance it out, which I think is, is key to a lot of true crime. Not that, again, this isn't a true crime podcast, but there's a little bit of levity. Uh, we're going to try to balance out the nerdy academic side of what we're talking about with some of the fun. And Natalie's going to tell us if we stop making sense, which I think yeah. is important. And or be shocked and or laugh at inappropriate times. I mean, look, haven't we all? Like, <laughs> I, I was going to say, my brother is an EMT yeah, uh, yeah. or was an EMT. So jo- the jokes get morbid real quick. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't mention this in my little spiel, but my current job, because I work in a microbiology lab, does include cutting up body parts. I mean, the body parts that come to me are already cut up but I cut them up more <laughs> and then I grind them. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this podcast is probably going to get a little bit grotesque at some points. Hopefully nothing too triggering, but I feel like we should point that out. I mean, it is a forensic science podcast though. So it's kind of a given. Um, yeah. I mean, you're kind of dead and, or we're almost dead if you end up in this area. Well, I mean, forensics, it could be a robbery with no physical harm done to anyone. That still falls okay, like, fine. well, and... one scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I always joke about robbing a bank. <laughs> oh so I don't think that's a good idea. Or killing people no, not when I blast it to however many people are going to be listening to this. But it's fine. They'll never find me. This is also a podcast that probably about how to get away with murder. So just Yeah, know. that's true. I'm sure some people will find a way to turn this information into something that's a little bit more practical in the villain sense. Yeah. Again, we're not expertise. Okay, so. To be fair though. <laughs> to be fair, if you're going to do something bad and you have any kind of brain, you're going to research it anyway. That's true. A lot of this information mm-hmm. is out there on Google. We do recommend you at least use scholarly resources if you're going to try to Google how to get away with murder because those are a little more legit. But No, don't tell them that. Let them use Dr. Google. Dr. I mean... Yeah, they'll research how to steal or break into a bank and Google will tell them that they're dying of cancer. That's how it works. That's fair. But the other thing is scholarly articles are very difficult to understand if you're not in that field or even if you are in that field as i have come to learn doing my science degree so i think that's kind of what sets us apart from the average listener is everyone can do research we're not saying that you can't be knowledgeable about forensic science just because you don't have a degree but definitely our degree our knowledge and maybe not real life work experience, but our lab experience does help interpret the information. Um, And also, again, we have access to our textbooks, which are expensive and we had to buy them. So that's our advantage. I was like, to be fair, if uh, you don't have a degree and you've used the internet, I very often read medical journals because I have health issues so that you can learn things. It just takes a lot of effort if no one is teaching yes, you. Yes, exactly. So we were trying to basically take our four years, well, three for you, but our years of like 
suffering through lectures and condense it into more bite-sized pieces so the average person can at least understand you know i'm sure like true crime is hugely popular um so if you're listening to a true crime podcast and you're like what actually do fingerprinting people look at fingerprinting people is not a legitimate term (laughs) (laughs) i blanked there they're very much layman terms so yes we're gonna try to explain things in as layman terms as possible so that you and natalie can understand them that being said i think it's uh, time to roll into our first topic presented by dylan oh i'm doing the first one you're doing the first one because so i'm doing uh low cards principle yes and fingerprints yes that's my favorite (laughs) perfect because natalie learned you don't need to be certified to be a fingerprint no, analyst. <laughs> and I found out there are fingerprint cards, so I'm highly amused. Fingerprint? What? What? <laughs> Wait, do you not have cards? Oh. Yeah, like cards, you know, when if you get Oh, involved. like your 10 print. Yeah. Your what? Like, like your the ten... ink? Where you take your fingerprints when, and Yeah, you... when they take your fingerprints if you get like charged or something. A 10-fold card? Oh, that's not what I meant. Oh. Oh. I actually listened to Jensen and Holes, and so... Actual experts. Paul Holes. Yeah. yeah. One of them is an investigative journalist, and one of them is an ex... Um, detective? Law enforcement officer. Yeah. Detective. Um, so he talked about fingerprint cards, and there was a case where someone lost the fingerprint card, which is like they found a partial print, and they put them on cards, and they just, they have the details oh, on the back. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not the ten. No, it's no. not the ten card. It's when you collect it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, we're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's have let's See, get. I know a real thing though. Yes, those are her real. And things. I wasn't going to mention that. So look at that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll tack it on to your uh, your portion. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff there's there's a a vast majority of things that we're probably not going to get into, like every detail. Like I mean, the podcast is not going to be like two hours long it might end up being two hours long with the pace that we're going (laughs) well i mean the 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 information we're going to talk about is not going to be so in-depth where you're going to get all the pieces of information that's from what i'm because i'm not i can't talk about everything about a fingerprint no um so it's going to be as like knowledgeable but as brief so you understand the the concept of exactly the topic it's an introduction. It's like yeah. if you were to hear someone mention it, then you at least know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Just you don't need to know the minutiae. Get oh. it? But on bumps. What? No. No, because the minutiae minutia is like the little details. Uh, and colloquialism, yes, yes, it's like, yes. what, you know, you don't need to know the minutiae of someone's life or whatever, right? Mm. But oh, it's I also. The joke was that you're mispronouncing it. No. No, that's she, she no. That's right. that's it's it's relevant to the topic. We'll get yeah. into that. I'm gonna stop interrupting you now. <laughs> so, um, more generalized term people might know is called the Locard's Exchange Principle, and this was kind of a like a principle <laughs> that uh, a guy named Edward Locard uh, back in the 19th century uh, developed. Uh, he was a French criminalist. Uh, he was also con- probably one of considered the pioneer forensics. Then he was coined the um, like the Sherlock of France, Sherlock Holmes of France. So basically, what that what the Locard's exchange principle is is every contact leaves a trace. So no matter what you do, 
in your daily basis, you're always leaving some sort of trace behind. So basically what his whole career was, he kind of just investigated particular ideas um, and difficult problems that are created by applications of scientific, scientific techniques to forensic situations. So basically what happens is, um, Shelly, you can jump in on this one. Okay. So we'll just stick with a crime scene in this, in a sense. So you walk into, so you're going into like a scene. Um, you're robbing a bank. You're robbing a bank. Sure. <laughs> yes. And everything from you, like entering the bank, you're leaving traces. So like footprints. Mm-hmm. Um, Dirt. If you if you have a gun and you shoot gun, there's gunpowder. Yeah. Uh, there's hair. Dandruff. Like dandruff. Dandruff. Yeah. Hair. Everything you possibly. Wait, can is think. that real? Because I was. Yeah. No, no. No. It's everything. You can... would be surprised how much trace you can actually even how much trace can actually be found, mm-hmm. whether or not it's significant you as can a whole. You find other. dandruff. It's well, I mean, just, it's just... it's probably minimal. Like yeah. you're probably not going to well, s- sit there and look for dandruff on the floor or whatever it is but well it's like so Lockhart's principle is basically saying and this is why forensics applies is that whoever was there at the time of a crime is going to leave some trace of themselves um so you know you could like you could find dandruff Mm -hmm. uh you if you were robbing a bank if you're to walk in through the front door and like you do leave hair and stuff well Contextually, that means nothing because everyone's walked through the front door. Yeah, yeah. So just because they find your hair doesn't mean you're the one robbing the bank. Maybe you went there to, like, you know, withdraw some money or whatever. The legal way. Yeah, yeah. Not at gunpoint. No. (laughs) But if they found, like, your hair on the inside of a – in the inside of a safe – which probably isn't going to happen because the tellers would probably hand you the money if you're robbing a bank. But let's just say, contextually, like, why would your hair end up inside the safe? So that's kind of, but like, you know, the point is you were there, you left something of you. Mm -hmm. And even if you're very careful, there's, you still shed skin cells. Mm -hmm. Again, that's probably like, depending on the context, they're not going to swab the entire floor for your skin. I, I just have an image of someone like with masking tape every like foot just, like, just keep going on the floor look socos are dedicated to their job but they're not that dedicated <laughs> start doing the four quadrants oh yeah start your patterns yeah so <clears throat> that's kind of the gist yeah like that's kind of like Lockhart's principle in a sense um so his one of his uh, things he was doing about the divisible matter was that the so this is going more back to like um physically physically touching something so like the divisible matter is like a pressure or like a force which pushes on an object and then when the object is pressed it leaves something behind so in sense like so just say like just generally fingerprints so if someone was picking up a, a mug or a glass that force is pressing against another um, surface and it's and that's what leaves and it. that's what leaves the trace so which could be um, like sweat uh, lipids any like um, material from your 
your fingers that skin can, cells, which is apparently my skin favorite. cell, like any <laughs> DNA in that sense, that's what be in that divisible matter. Lipids being oil. Yeah. Yeah, like fats and stuff. So we, like we all mm-hmm. we all like secrete like sweat glands. Uh, so we don't we don't secrete sweat glands. We don't secrete uh, the glands. The glands secrete. Yeah, the glands secrete, <laughs> and this is what goes on the, which makes your fingerprint actually. Yeah. Like that's what your that's what shows from your finger. So yeah, so like I gave you a little bit of an example, um, other than the robbery that <laughs> Shelby put up. Um, Everyone's gonna start thinking I'm actually gonna rob a bank. <laughs> She didn't mention this in her intro. Uh, so yeah, so little little like little like case study. <laughs> Not really. Just kind of just explaining what low courage principle is. So um a dead body of a thirty three year old woman was found inside a kitchen, lying in a pool of blood, mainly around the head. A coconut scraper with blood stains was present nearby. An autopsy. Oh, what? Coconut scraper. A coconut scraper. So this is a real. Isn't it a case. real? Okay, real because case. I'm like, if you made this up, that's extremely no, no. specific, real, and real I'm case. concerned. Um, a coconut scraper. So if anybody doesn't know what a coconut scraper is, it scrapes the. Coconut. It scrapes the, the husk of a coconut. I think. <laughs> like the inside. Inside. To get the, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I assume anyway. Yeah. Either or. Um, an autopsy revealed that us. It revealed a split laceration, so laceration meaning like a large cut, uh, situated on the occipital scalp. Back of the head. The back of the head. With an underlying depressed fracture accompanied by... Accompanied. Accompanied (laughs) by fresh bleeding. Did not take an English degree. Um, (laughs) So that's basically just the scenario of what happened. So going to Lockhart's principle, um, so there were... That's right. There were contusion, contusions and abrasions. <laughs> so injuries to the skin where blood vessels have been broken. Uh, contusions over... the same as hematoma, right? Yeah, an, abra- an abrasion would be. But yeah, the... basically a bruise. Yeah, bruises, yeah. yeah. Um, to both the upper limbs. Uh, so your hand, like your arms. Uh, I think people can guess what upper limb is. <laughs> I think it's the more scientific. Wait, okay. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Can you differentiate between a bruise and, uh, I don't know what they're called, the marks that are left when a body is in a particular position? So, like, all the blood uh, like goes to that area? Like rigor mortis? No, lividity. Or... Yes, lividity. Yeah, so okay. when a body settles, we're going to get more into decomposition mm-hmm. in a later episode, but when the body settles um, after death, your blood is no longer circulating, so blood pools at the lowest point of gravity which generally will help investigators understand the positioning of the body at the time of death or how basically not necessarily at the time of death but for like an extended period so so can you tell the difference between that and a bruise yeah i wouldn't say i would know for sure but i would probably say yeah you would be able to tell because um well i think Maybe at first glance, there are definitely differences. Like, lividity usually is a large area that yeah, shows up yeah. because it's all the blood mm-hmm. in your body pooling um, into that one yeah. concentrated area. But also, the difference is that lividity is still within the blood vessels. Yeah. So, oh, you're not broken, bleeding. Yeah. yeah. But a bruise is the broken capillaries 
um, which are your tiniest blood vessels, which is why you don't die from bruises unless you're a hemophiliac. Maybe at first glance it could be difficult, but I would imagine that a forensic pathologist would definitely, definitely be able to tell the difference. Uh, that's more of an okay. expertise that I don't think I was really trained in. We did learn about uh, decomposition. Yeah. <laughs> I was just curious. Yeah, they're like that's a major difference. I would imagine that actual experts would be able to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like even with the pattern of such um, like bruising and stuff would be a lot different than the pooling of the blood, right? Because you'd have yeah. like probably more spots, like red dots or blue dots around the area or localization of like a bruise. Yeah. Whereas in the the pooling of the blood, it's like wherever is like, it's the just lowest there, point. Right? Yeah. So yeah, so like there was uh, contusions and abrasions, um, b- both upper limbs. Uh, the cause of the death was the craniocerebral injuries due to the blunt force impact. Uh, the examination showed pattern abrasions with serrated serrations, so sharp jagged edges, on the left and right palm. So the conclusions based on this case uh, and applying those to uh, Locard's principle is that like so the contusions of the upper limbs of the deceased were compatible with a defensive injury so these defensive injuries um so everything is like that contact right the contact leaves the trace so so basically uh the weapon the weapon where it was hit what struggles this person went through uh so like the pattern of injuries on the palms so that's where the serrated uh, edges were. So the suspect suggested that uh, he or she was holding a blade of a, of the scraper in his left hand while supporting the shaft in the scraper with his right hand. Um, and the blood on the wooden part of the scraper indicates the contact point of the scraper with the head. So it was your blunt force. Right. So because... those contacts are what are leaving the trace behind so that they know how to uh, investigate like the cause of death. Yeah, and I'm tempted almost to say this in, like, every topic, but the context is the key thing, Yeah. right? Because um, we're going to, obviously, as we talk more about these different topics, it'll come up more, but usually one, there's no, like, one key piece of evidence mm-hmm. in the law, in the court of law, you know, the one side or the other might hinge on a key piece of evidence, but all evidence should be interpreted in the context of everything. Because at the end of the day, forensic evidence is circumstantial, right? So just because, you know, my blood was found on the knife that killed this person, let's say my roommate, because there was a roommate that I wanted to murder, but We'll not get into that. Um, Like, that doesn't mean that I actually was the murderer because if I live in that house too, I could have cut myself on that knife and my blood Mm -hmm. could have gotten there. Mm -hmm. But if it was like, um, you know, my DNA under her fingernails because she was trying to cut, uh, like, fight me off and, you know, I have scratch marks on my hands or arms or whatever... Well, that's pretty indicative of something. Mm-hmm. So, like, part of this case, um, which I didn't actually mention, which is what Shelly just mentioned, um, the the victim actually had the skin cells in okay. her teeth. Oh. In between her teeth. Yeah. So it's, like, another 
Which is also a low yeah, card principle, principle because yeah, yeah. she bit her attacker. Yeah. So it was a and... contract and it left the trace. Yeah. And I don't know if it was specified in this case, but she might not have actually broken skin, but the skin cells were there and it was enough to get DNA from. Um, we'll get into DNA analysis in the next episode, but as I've mentioned before, like you can get DNA from very tiny amounts, mm-hmm. like literally a single cell. Yeah. And that's what just today's technology. Mm-hmm. Years and years ago, they didn't have that much technology to minutely find the oh, DNA yeah. in between. Like, yeah, cases. of course. So that's why a lot of the cases went cold. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know that even reading today's like forensic news, there's a lot of cold cases Nerd. being huh? Nerd. <laughs> uh, a lot of cold cases are being reopened mm-hmm. and now they're trying like I read a one um I think it was a couple of years ago where this eighty year old man went to jail for life. <laughs> He's almost well, like maybe a decade or so. Yeah, a decade yeah. or so. But because he um He'd gotten away with it. He'd gotten away didn't. with it because he had his wife buried in a construction site in their concrete and as they were um she went missing never seen anybody again Mm -hmm. it went cold and then all of a sudden like 20 25 years later 30 years later the uh the construction site was dug up because it was so old okay and then they found the skeletal remains found the dna of him on like in that area and yeah so yeah yeah yeah, so the thing I'm going to talk about next episode is kind of like that too. Yeah. Oh. Except, I don't know, like, I guess maybe when you told me about it, the, the details might not have been all there, but I've got issues with that case. Uh. <laughs> so we'll get into it. Was there anything else you want? No, yeah. So basically, that is, that is, Locard principle is not too in depth of like mm-hmm. a specific science, but it's just kind of a general overview of it's the foundation like it's foundation yeah Yeah. and in that note you're also going to talk about so yeah fingerprints uh so fingerprints everybody (laughs) loves them everybody (laughs) thinks they know a lot about them do they (laughs) maybe who knows (laughs) um so yeah fingerprints are very uh unique um i think they're the one thing that is completely unique regardless because it's not genetic dependent yeah yeah, even like identical twins don't have the same mm-hmm. um, like markings as yeah. a fingerprint, and not only just a fingerprint, but that's like also like uh, I'm gonna probably say this way, but podiac, podiac, podi, like they're your, your feet. feet. Yeah. Um. So those ridges and friction uh, ridges. Friction ridges. Yeah, friction ridges. <laughs> uh. So they're also different too. So. So basically all of your like patterns and stuff in your fingerprints and your feet are unique to you. Um so a lot of so one thing that I've that I've meant that I've not mentioned, but uh <laughs> that comes al- comes across in forensics a lot when they're trying to um determine evidence based on a perpetrator or a suspect is the word match. And oh, I just yes. wanna like mention that now before I go into fingerprints, because a lot of people think because of the way society is shown in like media society. and television. So like these these crime scene investigation like TV series, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, we found a match. There's a match to this. There's a match to that. There's not actually really a match. And if you use that word in court, you mm. are in trouble. Yeah. yeah. So um, 
I know why. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll explain it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so a large part of my degree in the forensic was if we use match, mm-hmm. they were like pretty much scared you and be like, you're you're never going to get a degree. <laughs> um, That's pretty hard. <laughs> oh my god. Because That's hard. because there's so this is this is why we don't say match is because how explain this? There's so a yeah, margin of error. there's a margin of error, mm-hmm. but they didn't really account for that years and years and years ago. Fingerprints was probably one of the only scientific forensically mm-hmm. evidence that was kind of, they took two uh, fingerprints, they looked at all of what they even like just looked at the fingerprint itself and they said it matched. It wasn't like gone through any strict um, regulations or guidelines to an actual like. Uh, like compared to DNA. Like, yeah, compared yeah. to DNA. Like this was like very admissible in court um, where it was like, Okay, they they matched in quotations, uh, so it was like that was your perpetrator. So or at least that was your print. Okay, so you, that's like using allegedly. Well, kind of. So basically, this is going to get a little bit more complicated because of that margin of error. There's always that possibility that it in fact is not a perfect match because when you say match the implication is that 100%. it's perfectly the same 100% but in reality that's pretty much never the case very on occasion mm-hmm. like glass evidence you could match up the pieces like like a jigsaw puzzle basically but um and i'm i'm sure you'll get into more details about how fingerprints are analyzed there was a, a weird nod, but <laughs> um, but <laughs> this is not a visual medium. No, it yeah, is it's not. gonna be hard to do this one. But yeah. <laughs> well, we'll you I'll, can I'll send me pictures yeah, yeah. and I'll put it on the yeah, Instagram yeah, when this do. comes up. Yeah. yeah. So because you're like in any kind of forensic evidence where you are comparing one thing to another, there's that error of margin. So you never want to say match because it it leads the jury or the judge or the lawyers to say that this is exactly the same. When in reality, that's never true. You would have to change your wording to say it's, I think you use the word compatible in your case study. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or consistent with. Yeah. Um, I noticed like when I was in my degree, I don't know how they taught you how to say that. I'd have to stuff. remember it to be honest. But basically they would say, if you said match, you failed the course. <laughs> If you said um, the probability of this being similar to this, those are like the one you the ma- the comparison between two fingerprints, the probability of them having the same being the same was a one in like one trillion. Yeah, which so, I'll talk about in DNA. Okay, perfect. So I won't go into that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, so it's like you, if you just think about it just quickly, mm-hmm. how many people in the world? If you're one in one trillion, there's not one trillion people. So mm-hmm. obviously yeah. it's it's this match, but in quotation marks again, but not really saying it's a match where it's concrete saying that this person did the crime and this is who it is. And I think the other, um, again, I'm, we will probably get more into it as you talk about actual fingerprint analysis. But in forensics, usually nowadays anyway, there's a more standard of like how many criteria. It's 13 or link up so i'm trying to avoid the word match but how many criteria are the same (laughs) right and that number is still limited 
no matter how many, how few, that number is still limited. You're not looking at 100% of your yep. object that you're comparing. Yep. You're looking at certain bits and pieces. So, yeah, continue on with yep. fingerprints before we dive too deep into this <laughs> hole. <laughs> so fingerprint identification basically is a routinely used in forensic laboratories and identification units around the world. So it is universal. It's been accepted in courts of law for nearly a century. Uh, so about, about I want to say about 15 years ago, um, the testimony of latent fingerprints, latent meaning invisible. Visible, invisible to the naked eye, testimony of latent fingerprint examiners uh, were um, admitted in courts without much scrutiny and challenges, as I was saying before. Mm -hmm. um, but in a case in 1993, so this is kind of more of the U.S. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the reliability of expert scientific testimony must be established. So that's now also in Canada. So they have yes. these uh, regulations yeah. and processes and procedures to follow in order to um, provide these evidence in court to be admissible as evidence. Yeah, I think we might actually do like an episode on testifying and evidence being used in court because what you think in terms of practicality and how at least the Canadian courts um, although I think evidence admissibility is fairly similar between at least Canada and the states um, and maybe most like western court systems mm -hmm. but there's a whole set of rules about well literally it's called the rules of evidence I think if I recall correctly mm -hmm. I think so but Is i could be wrong because sure. i don't Let's remember and i can't find my law <laughs> lectures and i'm really mad about it <laughs> <laughs> i'm just nodding and smiling <laughs> <laughs> she's like yeah i agree with you i know what you're talking about uh so yeah so the, these the testifying of fingerprints became very uh structured in a sense so basically they determined to have five factors that should be considered when using fingerprints as a form of like testifying as evidence. Basically what they were is uh, whether the particular technique um, or the methodology in question has been subject to a statistical hypothesis testing. Uh, so that's more of your like your probability of something happening or something being the same. Yeah, so um, the probability that this fingerprint matches someone completely different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they need to know that stuff. They want to know the error rates, um, if they've been established, uh, whether standard controlling for the technique exists and how they've been maintained. So it's your, like your uh, quality control, quality assurance, uh, <gasps> <laughs> whether it has been peer reviewed and published. So the method is legitimate and it's been supported, supported by your fellow like, uh, Scientists. like your fellow nerds, your fellow, yeah, your fellow nerds, uh, <laughs> and whether if it's generally widespread accepted, so not just one community accepts this as a, an appropriate method or technique, and then you go down the street and no one accepts it, and it's Everyone's then like, everybody's the just like, yeah, about? exactly. So it's those are kind of like the five general um, uh, structural basis that needs to be done before anything can like in terms of well that's pretty much 
every evidence. every yeah. evidence in a sense, but it's more like fingerprints is what it actually came up to be like. Okay. Um, because fingerprints was the one that was lacking the. Uh, uh, I didn't know this part. Uh, I just know the like case mark, case mark, case case. The landmark cases. Wow. English is my third language. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so those, those are the five things. Now, um, Amorim Depth with Shelley was talking about, about uh, fingerprinting. So I think the minimum amount of minutiae that is required for a fingerprint to be identified as um, acceptable is 13. I'm, I don't remember, don't remember, honestly. I think it's 13. Um, so minutiae. So you need 13 points of reference? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's your minimum. Yeah. Now I know Okay. there's cases. The more, the better, obviously. obviously. You'll probably find more, too. You'll probably find more. Yeah. It depends on the person. How you, yeah, the person, how you're looking at it. Mm -hmm. What is your point of reference? Because you could have a perfectly good fingerprint, but then find a fingerprint on a bottle but it's like half, half a fingerprint yeah. so now you only have a half of a field to work with so you have Which to is like a big problem with yeah. a lot of because you're not chances are you're not going to get a perfect mm -hmm. unsmudged yeah. complete fingerprint also um you mentioned minutiae and i mentioned minutiae before in a really bad pun but <laughs> that's basically the characteristics of yeah. your fingerprints so I'm like trying to remember them. I was going to go through. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be hard to explain without. I'm going to do it very briefly. I'm going to yeah. tell you the three basic ones. Okay. And then I'm going to show. And if you guys want to look on your finger as I'm explaining it, <laughs> you can go ahead. It could be and a little fun activity. Find... Who knows? <laughs> but pictures. I actually went through this in biology, I think, okay. in high school. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Because okay. um, we are going to, we are going to put pictures for reference on the Instagram when this episode comes out. So, yeah, if, so you if these uh, descriptions aren't enough, which <laughs> to be honest is really, I'm just trying to think of how you're going to describe this. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, me describing something simple, simple <laughs> yeah. it's not going to be simple, but you know. <laughs> and if you support us on Patreon sometime in the future, we'll give you imprints of our fingerprints so you can leave them everywhere. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I see no bonus problem. episodes. But <laughs> clearly Natalie has a different business model than I do. <laughs> Entertainment. <laughs> Wrongful conviction. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm going on, like. <laughs> I don't even have a passport, so like the limit is there but like, for crimes I could have. But in committed. Canada they're not allowed to keep your fingerprints. Unless you actually commit a crime. Oh yeah. Say what? In Canada, they're not allowed even allowed to take your fingerprints unless you commit a crime. For privacy. For and privacy. So if, if they take your fingerprint. Wait, like police? Or? Nobody. Well, if you commit a crime. Oh. If you commit a, only if you commit a crime, your yeah. fingerprints will be taken on a fivefold, which is just five of your fingers done on like a card. Yeah, it's a card with a box for each finger. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, it's like, I'm sure people have seen it in TV or yeah. movies or whatever. Like mm -hmm. when someone gets booked, yep. they have to roll their fingers, yeah. Yeah. which is um, if you're short and the person you're trying to take their fingerprint is tall is the most amazing <laughs> because that's what happened it. to me. <laughs> My partner was over six feet tall. I am five foot three and a half. The half matters. <laughs> Listen, I say I'm five, four and three quarters all the time. Yeah, it matters. 
fractions matter. Um, and because obviously you're trying to get as much of the print as possible. So if you can visualize, you're rolling your entire finger from one end, rolling down like your actual, the pad of your finger to the other. And you have to apply even pressure. Mm -hmm. And well, now it's digital, but <laughs> well, we had to learn it the manual yeah, way. Yeah, we had to learn it the manual. Our, I mean, our lab technique. was fancy, but it wasn't that fancy. Yeah. But like, it's hard because you're holding that person's hand doing it for them because obviously they're not going to do it properly. And the when you roll, like when you're rolling your hand, your elbow goes up. So his elbow was going up, but it was like past my shoulder because he's so tall, and I'm like. <laughs> like on my tippy toes trying to move up with him. And I'm like, why are we doing this? I need a stool. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Fun. I love that idea. Very much authority <laughs> established. Look, I'm feisty. <laughs> Small but feisty. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's like fingerprint taking in a nutshell. Uh, so contrary to the belief um or the popular belief that fingerprint matching is is not actually always correctly done as Jelly just explained <laughs> in terms of height um so this actually leads to some false uh associations while there's an overwhelming amount of discriminatory information present in the fingerprints uh so the strength of evidence uh degrades drastically with so like I was saying earlier, if if a fingerprint was lightly touched, mm -hmm. if there was not a lot of pressure, um, smudged. smudged. So there's a lot of factors that actually can affect the quality of a fingerprint from what you actually have to work with. Mm -hmm. So the and other things like the performance of the state of art automatic fingerprint uh, systems is not close to the theoretical limit, uh, meaning the software programs that are used cannot process some of these images. So like you'll you'll scan okay. the image of the fingerprint to a system. Yeah. But the scanning of this system is not like as accurate as you would get original, right? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things like that that actually create biases to a fingerprint. Um, which is why it's not always correct. And which is why you need to use that probability. Mm-hmm in order to present this in court. So um, not to over-direct you, but I think mm -hmm. before we got distracted, you were going to talk about the actual, like, minutiae and what they were. Yeah, that's the next one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, APHIS is here in Canada. I think it's American. APHIS is American? Too? Yeah, we have it, that too. Sounds There's one I just heard a cat meow. Oh. So, APHIS, if no one knows what it is, it's the automatic... Uh, fingerprint identification system basically what it's not it is that automatic what it's not that automatic if no it's not it's not no it's not it's just yeah. like a database that holds the fingerprints yeah yeah so the popular tv shows which i can no longer watch yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's not not yeah there's a lot of yelling at the tv screen yeah uh so you know like how you have a fingerprint it scans through a database it shows like 10,000 pictures of people going oh, yeah. really, really, really quick. And then boom, there's a picture. It's like, oh, it's And then here guy. we go. Here's your person. Go arrest them. Yeah, that does not happen. Sorry. There's a lot of squinting involved in real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, 
at least in Canada, like uh, we can't actually take fingerprints from people. Mm-hmm. Like it's Willy-nilly. I know like in other countries they take your fingerprints when you apply for a passport. Um, just yeah, the US so they takes have them it for a lot of things, and they can actually take it. Like I don't know if you have this in Canada. If you're a, sus- a suspect and they want your DNA or fingerprints or whatever, they can wait until like. Uh, you went to McDonald's and you threw your cup away. They can, they can go take the cup. And, of course, it will be admissible in court. But um, it's enough sometimes for a search warrant, I believe. I think I'm going to have to look into the legalness of this. Because I do remember there have been some cases in discussion. Because there's a debate where it's like, is your di- discarded thing your possession? Yeah. Right. So the issue is like if I like you said, if I went to McDonald's and drank from a cup and then um, police officer watches me, grabs the cup after I throw it out, takes my DNA from it. Is that allowed? Because well, like, was that evidence legally obtained? Yeah. So Here, it's still in question. But as long as it's still in question, people are going to keep doing it. Yeah, I think. There have been some precedent-setting cases. I don't remember exactly, though. Um, But I know for sure that was up for debate because it's like, well, on the one hand, like, it's discarded. It's no longer your personal belonging. On the other hand, it was also taken without your consent. Anyway, go back to (laughs) fingerprints. (laughs) So, yeah, fingerprinting. Um, Yeah, so that that automatic uh, fingerprinting identification system doesn't really work the way you normal people would think it works. It takes could take years for a fingerprint to actually come in contact with an actual person because there's no actually reference database mm-hmm. that all these like you get a fingerprint from a crime you you go through all of its you, you search through the you, you search the database obviously to find like any comparable um fingerprint mm-hmm. but it's really really difficult to actually have a comparable fingerprint that's already in the database from a previous crime. So, um, yeah, it's like if I I keep using myself as like an example, which is probably bad omens. But <laughs> you're like on, if you're I on a list. <laughs> I'm not the only one who jokes about committing crimes. I'm sure. I know. <laughs> I'm just maybe more qualified than the average person to <laughs> get away with one. But anyway. <laughs> Besides the point. Um, so, like, if I, you know, left, I would not make this mistake, but let's pretend I did. If I left my fingerprint at a bank that I robbed, but I've never committed a previous crime, or I, at least I've never been caught for one. Mm-hmm. So they have no one to compare that fingerprint exactly. to. Until they have more evidence and reason to suspect me, in which case they might obtain a warrant um, to obtain exactly. my fingerprint or whatever other evidence. Or if, like, you commit, you rob this bank, have millions of dollars. Two years later, you lose all your money because you spent it on drugs or something. And then you go and Video you commit games. another crime. Then they take your fingerprints, and then that's when they can sign the. Yeah. And I, and that's usually the case mm-hmm. in Canada is where you commit a crime, you never get caught for it, but then you commit another crime. They take your fingerprints, and then they'll they'll book you for all of the crimes you've previously yeah, committed. Yeah, because they can link so all the different crimes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's happened here too. Uh, There was someone who, oh my gosh, which he got away with it and then started taunting the police like years later. He he had his kids. Rookie mistake. 
Yeah, he had kids, and that's when he stopped committing crimes. And then it started coming up oh, in... Good for him. Huh? It's like when my dad quit smoking when my mom was pregnant with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he's like, okay, I have a family now. I'll just fade into obscurity. And then he decided randomly, I don't want to be obscure anymore, and started taunting the police. <laughs> he got caught. Yeah. <laughs> Bless those people. It's always like that, though. It's always like that. They always have big egos. I think we still have not gotten to what the minutiae actually no, no, are. That's my, that's Worlds. Worlds, exactly. That's so, it. So, <laughs> yeah, well, there's two others. But, uh, Delta. So, no, that's, well, yeah, there is. There, but, like, uh, so, minutiae, uh, so there's three basic patterns of fingerprint ridges which are arches, loops, and whirls. So an arch is a pattern where the ridge, so the ridge meaning like the bump. like the bumps yeah, in your... the raised part. Yeah, the, in your fingerprint. In your finger... Yeah, in your fingerprint. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when the ridge enters one side of your finger, then rises in the center, forming an arch, and then exits the other side of the finger. Yeah. Just like a hill. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. A- an arch. That's an arch. Yeah, and the um, length of it tells you how long you're gonna live. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, with a loop, the ridge enters one side of the finger, then forms a curve, and exits on the same side of the finger. So like a loop. <laughs> so like a loop. So, so it's like you drove down the street. You're like, "Fuck, this is the wrong street," and yep. you pull a Yui. And then you go back down the same street you just came from. This is actually a pretty good comparison. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, the world. The world. Yeah, sorry. Just trying to read. Uh, The world is the the pattern when the ridges form circularly around the central point. So it sounds like it's exactly how it sounds. So if you look at your fingers, you probably have. um, Actually, I. Oh, I do. Yeah. My middle finger. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. I'm just giving Dylan the finger. So basically, it's like if you were to look on your fingers, you're probably going to have one that has a whirl. It's just circles. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't go anywhere. It's just there. Most of mine are loose. In one finger or in three different fingers? No, they're not going to be in one. (laughs) I'm going to say, like, you better get that checked. (laughs) No. Different fingers. So those are your basic three those three turn into like all these different ones okay Um, that's why you were like no (laughs) yeah yeah so like uh so i kind of go over them really quickly not very much in depth um there's one that's called the crossover it's basically the ridge comes in stops and continues like almost like a space so so it's a cross driving down the street you're actually driving the tardis so you jump forward in time and space so you skip over the intersection because you're like i'm not waiting for this red light and then you you continue cross no but then you cross to the other yeah so then you continue on the other side of the intersection yeah yeah Yeah. so that's kind of what a crossover is Uh. (laughs) (laughs) um so there's something called the core the core is like how to explain this like like you have the loop and in the middle of the loop, of the first loop in your fingerprint, that's your core, like the top of the point. Okay. 
I think that makes sense. So you have a, you have a loop, the inner loop, then you have a, another loop around the inner loop, and it keeps going. You're making it look like an arch, though, the way your hands are doing. Oh, sorry. It's supposed to go. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Dylan's like he's going like Wingardium Leviosa with his <laughs> oh fingers, trying to draw out what that looks like. Again, we'll have pictures. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Uh, bifurcation is like a splitting in an in a ridge. Yeah. So it looks like a fork. Yeah. Like a yeah, like a fork, but just like two prong. Um, a ridge ending, so that's when it completely stops. Uh, Dead end. Bar? Dead end. Yeah, dead end just stops. That's it. It's usually in between a bifurcation. That only helps because <laughs> they split off and then it's the one right in the middle that stops and connects. Um, you have an island, which is just like a s- random dot in the middle of your finger. <laughs> um, You're like, how do I describe islands? Yeah. <laughs> it's a random dot in the world. <laughs> Which my favorite one is the Delta. Yes, me too. Is it? Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> the coolest. So basically, this kind of formulates with a loop. So the loop is like we said: you go up, you make, you said, screw this, turn around, go back in the same direction. Uh, so it's basically that. But then the loop kind of creates the Delta in the triangle. It kind form. of meets another yeah. curve. It looks like a triangle, basically. Yeah. That's- the easiest way this to describe it. is one of the most it. common ones. I don't think I have any. If you have I a loop. Everyone's looking at their either. fingerprints now. If you have a loop. If you have I a have loop, you definitely loops. mostly have oh, a... Oh, I do have... Yes, I do have deltas. Yeah. I don't know why I was so happy. <laughs> and and then you have a something called a... Pardon? I was, the ones that aren't whirls are like tiger stripes in one direction. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. a loop. Yeah, yeah. So if you have it coming out like um, from one side of your finger, it goes towards the middle and then it forms Turns a loop and, and then comes, comes right back, back down to the, the same, same side. Area. I don't think I yeah. have that. Most of mine are that. Yeah, I think I have like loops and whirls. I mean, uh, loops and deltas. Anyway, <laughs> we're, we're then, just really focused on our fingers yeah, right now. That's what I said. You guys can join in. It's cool. <laughs> uh, and then you have something called the, the pour. And basically what it is, is like a dot within the ridge. It's a hole. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can see those with the naked eye, but you need really need to have... Like a really high resolution scanner. Yeah. yeah. But so all of those minutiae, yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're the things that make your fingerprint very unique. And a lot of people think like, okay, so if I have these ridge ridges and all these like uh, specific unique uh ridges mm-hmm. as a fingerprint why why if, if i want to commit a crime why not just you know just cut my fingers off well you just <laughs> well you also it's it's a little hard to cut to do uh, crime or burn them or yeah, whatever yeah. but if you think yeah but so a lot of people think that okay well then i won't have this fingerprint but how many people out there actually have burnt, burnt fingers yeah. it makes you more unique it makes you more unique like scars burns yeah. weird marks um the only problem with those is because of healing that will change over time. Yeah. So your fingerprints are permanent. Mm-hmm. Because those are created in the, the womb. womb. Yeah. It's caused by the movement of amniotic fluid. Mm-hmm. It actually forms the ridges. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. So 
which is why identical twins or triplets or whoever don't have the same fingerprints because there's no way to replicate the exact same amniotic movement. <laughs> With scars, like, because I've had um, like a cut before and that's completely gone now. So if I had robbed a bank when I had that cut, if they caught me and took my fingerprint around that time, that would have added more weight to the fingerprint evidence. But if they were to catch me now, well, it would be a little bit more difficult because I no longer have that scar. Yeah. So that's, hmm. that would be the difference, right? Yeah. That's Although you... if you have burned fingertips, like I imagine your fingerprints aren't going to heal quite right. Hmm. So even just the fact that it's like, okay, we have a burned fingerprint from this crime scene, however many years ago, this person has burned fingers, like severely burned fingers to, because the point is to try and obliterate your fingerprint, right? And you have to burn pretty, pretty deep, right? Well, I think it depends on how committed you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for it to be effectual or effective, it has to be pretty deep. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, like at the because your your ridges are actually pretty deep. Yeah. Like even if you were to look at them with your your naked skin eye, would fall off and regenerate, so it come. Yeah. Come back. I would say probably to the dermis at least. That's what the that's the second, second layer, layer of skin. Yeah. So yeah. your epidermis at the top, and then your dermis is yeah. like underneath that. Anatomy. Which is when you actually call per cause permanent damage. Right. Yeah. But even then, like the healing will change the appearance of mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. Um, and there's a little bit more um, different uh, minutiae that you can do. There's like a double loop. You can get mm -hmm. more in depth with uh, the fingerprint. It's not only just those like seven or eight I just said. Um, but those are just the most common ones. Um, so again, um, I could we could post little like images yeah. on our Instagram to show you like all the different uh, types of uh, minutiae. But those are kind of just the main ones I was talking about. Yeah. So about. if you've ever wondered how, like, people actually compare fingerprints, it's by looking at these characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not actually. It's not like one of those spot the difference pictures, <laughs> where everything no. is like in clear components. It's, and I don't know if you're going to talk about like the actual matching process, quote unquote matching no, process. No. Well, just briefly, yeah. like sure. from what I learned, it could be updated by now. It's been a lot of years, <laughs> almost 10. Six, no. I did fingerprinting in first year. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. First year, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but basically, <laughs> Dylan realizes how old we are. <laughs> um, but basically like you would have a scan of the fingerprint that you pull from the scene and then whoever the, the fingerprint analyst is would mark the different minutiae on the computer so they would put like okay, or by hand depending on how good technology you had well I mean I'm sure it's better now than what it was before yeah. but basically it's like okay you have this person has a loop that goes towards their thumb. So what is that, radial or ulnar? I don't remember. Fuck. <laughs> but either way, so they have this loop, and then they have a bifurcation here, and then a, a whatever there and whatever there. So they would mark all of that on the program. And then that's what the computer actually reads to pull out po possible comparable prints. And then the analyst normally will go through all of those possible comparisons and further compare. So it's not exactly automated, 
it's like semi-automated because the computer is pulling through the database to find fingerprints in the system where someone else has marked off all those little minutiae. And it's like, okay, well, you said there's a delta here. Well, this fingerprint also has a delta here. And then you said it, they have a bifurcation here. This fingerprint also has a bifurcation in approximately the same spot. So, so it that's why like a it's a database with a sophisticated search engine type mechanism. Yes, where it's basically keeping track of your little markers. So as far as I know, again, this technology could be massively updated by now. But as far as I know, these searches aren't actually looking at the image of the fingerprint. You're looking at the image of the fingerprint. They're looking at what you write on the fingerprint, basically. Yeah. So that's why you have to account for that margin of error. And there's also the error where it's like, you think a fingerprint's always going to be the a same position mm -hmm. every single time. You could have the fingerprint flipped sideways, half, yeah. diagonal. It's like, this is going to sound incredibly privileged of me, but it's like if you have a phone with a fingerprint sensor. I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a phone with a fingerprint sensor and you're entering your fingerprint so that you can unlock it, it asks you to move your fingerprint to scan different parts because it's going to allow you to like, you don't have to put your fingerprint down the exact same way every single time. Which would be almost very difficult. Impossible. To say. Yeah. yeah, probably impossible. So Maybe frustrated people would be with the iPhone. Oh my gosh, <laughs> no idea. Already frustrated with it. I mean, <laughs> no shade. So yeah, that was that's basically all of the minutiae fingerprints that we're going to talk about. So yeah, if you want to definitely leave a question Steph, Shelly will take over. Yes. So uh, currently we have an email account Forensic friends pod at gmail.com. I don't know why I said email account. That just sounded like I was a boomer. Um, but we have an email, forensic friends at gmail. Forensic friends pod at gmail.com because forensic friends was already taken. <laughs> but if you have any questions or suggestions for topics, you can reach us there. Um, we're also on Instagram, which I have to double check what it is. I think it's forensic. Uh, no, because that's also taken. Oh. Yeah, it's Forensic Friends Podcast on Instagram. And on Twitter, it's completely different sounding. It's Forensic Sci Pod. So, Forensic S CI CI <laughs> Pod on Twitter. Yes, because all the other choices related to the actual name of the podcast were either too long for Twitter or taken. Mm -hmm. So that's what it is. You should have gone for Forensic Fiends. Forensic Fiends? <gasps> oh, fiends. Like, like fiendish? Like fanatics? Yeah. Kind of. I might, I might change it to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw in, I'm going to throw in like an an amendment at the end of this episode if that's what I end up changing it to. I have to see if it's taken or yeah, not. Yeah. That's the thing. But yeah, so we'll end it there. I know this was definitely much longer than any of us have expected it to be. But hope. Uh, yes, and my pain levels second it. Well. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I will stop asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully um, the next topic will be slightly less 
in-depth because I think there was a lot more scientific background to Lockhart's principle and fingerprinting. Um, Whereas the next topic is maybe you can see it more logically in your head, but I'm not going to jinx it. It's a very interesting topic. Yes. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested in this and I hold it very near and dear to my heart. So that's the teaser for next episode. And yeah, if um, you can, please like or follow or favorite or whatever this podcast, whatever it is you're listening on, and leave us a review. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, anything else you guys want to add? No. Adel? If you want to find me, I do have a podcast that, again, is very different from this one. Uh, my podcast is Some Kind of Brown, and it is a part of Yellow Jacket Media. So you can check me out at Some Kind of Brown on all the social media platforms. You actually got to keep the same username for all your social media, eh? <laughs> oh, I snatched them. As soon as I had the title, I didn't even have anything else for my podcast. I was like, Google, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> more, I snatched it and didn't post for like a month. More preparation than I've had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you guys couldn't tell. <laughs> I think that concludes the very first very long episode of Forensic Friends uh, I hope you guys enjoyed and we'll talk to you in the next episode bye bye oh dear bye <laughs>